0: Hello and welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. This week's sermon is read by Terry and it's entitled, It's Time to Get Out of the Boat. Morning everyone. Happy New Year to you all if I haven't said it already, but I think I've greeted most people. Let's pray please. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you more for your living word, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I want to pray this morning that your word will touch people's hearts. Not my words, but your words, Lord. And I pray that I won't get in the way of what Holy Spirit wants to do. We pray this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. It's no secret, is it, that we live in a time when Christian values are being eroded, ignored, and indeed condemned as being bigoted. People expressing Christian beliefs are losing their jobs, their businesses. They're marginalized, they're ostracized simply for expressing a biblical viewpoint. (coughs) Legislation has been passed that is anti-God and certainly anti-Christian. And the sanctity and authority of Scripture, the Word of God, is being undermined. Actually, let's, let's be honest about it. It's being denied, not just undermined, and by senior members of the clergy whose job it should be To uphold the word of God. Not undermine it. Excuse me. But there's nothing new about that. What's new about it is the intensity. Which is probably greater now than it's ever been. Did you know for instance that Spurgeon resigned from the Baptist Union because. Quote. He and others believed that central Christian truths. Were being downgraded by the church of their day. That's in the 19th century. I wonder what they would say about today's church leaders. This country needs to come back to God. Without any doubt at all. And the question is, what can I do about it? And most of, well most of the time I say, well I can't do anything about it. I can't change the culture. I'm just one ordinary Christian in a land which is ungodly at the moment. Now that's what I've been thinking. But it's not true. But is that what you've been thinking? Because if you've been thinking it as well, it's not true for you either. But many Christians do believe that. They think they can't be good enough. They can't be holy people. They can't change society. One writer challenges this in a very simple way. And he said, look, that's a lie. We can all live holy moments. See, every time you show a kindness to someone, that's a holy moment. Every time you're gentle with someone, that's a holy moment. Every time you prevent cynical speech and snide comments from coming out of your mouth, because that's what's in your heart, that's a holy moment. And those holy moments can add up during the course of the day, which makes it a holy day. And then tomorrow you start again. And so you have two holy days, and then eventually you have a week, which is a holy week, and then maybe a holy month. And the point I'm trying to make is simply this. Your actions will be noticed much more than simply trying to prove that Christianity is the best philosophy against any other philosophy. It's living it out. Spurgeon said this, we are not going to prove God's word. If you don't like to believe it, we will shake your hands and bid you goodbye. But we will not argue with you. The gospel has gained little, he says, by discussion. Now, I believe that the church is the only one, or church is, are the only ones who can change culture. But that's going to be with actions. It's going to be not with words, not just words. But if you're going to have actions, that takes courage. And that takes hearing from the Lord. Helen mentioned earlier on, and somebody else mentioned earlier on, it's time to listen to the voice of God. If we listen to the voice of God, then we can act. So I want to challenge us this morning, every one of us, me included. And the challenge is this, and that's the title of my sermon. It's time to get out of the boat. I want to bring together a couple of themes that I've spoken about. The first one that I want to mention is getting closer to Jesus, spending time in his presence, listening to what he has to say to each one of us as individuals. And the second one is then having the courage based on that to be the lion of the tribe of judah follower because he enabled us to be seated with him in the heavenly realms he has given us power and authority he has delegated to that, that to us so we are overcomers we should then be seeing the miraculous just like the early disciples saw now how do we look how do we do that well I want to look at one character in the Bible who epitomizes that for me, and this is Peter. Peter, and I'm going to look at that story which is in Matthew 14, verses 22 to 32. And that's the story where Peter walked on the water. And the reason he walked on the water was because he wanted to be close to Jesus all the time. But being close to Jesus, he saw the miraculous, and they are together. Let's read that story. Matthew 14, 22 to 32. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Command me. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, he walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. <clears throat> Brilliant story. You'll find this story of Jesus walking on the water in three of the four Gospels Matthew, the one I've read, Mark 6, 45 to 52, and John 6, 16 to 24. But neither Mark nor John relate the incident about Peter. I wonder why. Now, there's speculation about it. Some say that that Matthew wanted Peter to be seen as the prime disciple. Some say that Luke didn't have the documents that were necessary, so he left it out. I don't care, I believe it. I believe Peter walked on the water. Now, what made him want to do that rather strange thing? Well, I believe it's because of the time that Peter had been with Jesus, because he had developed a love for Jesus. See, Peter, like the other disciples, He'd been watching him. They'd seen him operating in all sorts of circumstances. He'd seen the compassion and the love that Jesus had for people. He and the other disciples had lived closely with Jesus for three years. They'd focused on his work and what to them would have been the risks that he had taken. They'd seen the miracles. Here was a man to love and to follow. Here was a man to be close to, not far away from. Now, is that what Peter did? Is that, sorry, why Peter did what he did? To be closer to Jesus? Just to be in his presence was enough for Peter. See, spending time with Jesus clearly had developed Peter's love and passion for him. He wanted to be with Jesus more than anything else, and he was prepared to do anything to be with him. Nothing was going to stop him. Now, when I fell in love with my wife first, Nothing would stop me from being as close to her as I could be, as often as I could. Being apart was awful, and I would do anything to be in her presence. And many of you would be the same with your wives or your spouses or your partners. Now, why? Well, because I loved her. I loved her with a passion. And how many of us have that same passion and love for Jesus? We talk about it, but do we actually do it? If we set aside time to spend with Jesus, then that love and that passion for God is going to grow. And we need to do that, but we need to develop a rhythm. It needs to become an integral part of our daily lives. Only then will we get to the intimacy that it's necessary in order to know the mind and the heart of the Lord. <clears throat> Look at the context of this story, so far as Jesus is concerned. You can see that Jesus spent a long time with his father, as often as he could. At this point, he had just heard about the death of his cousin and his great friend, John the Baptist. And what did he do? He went to a solitary place to spend time being alone with his father. Not for long, because the crowds heard where he was. They gathered. And then what did he do? Well, he fed the 5,000 men and the others. Fine. But then he dismissed the disciples and he sent the crowds away, And he went to the mountainside by himself to pray. He didn't say, Well, it's time for a rest now because I'm tired. It's time for a kip. I'm going up on the mountainside to spend time with my father. His refuge was in communion with his father. Should not our refuge be in communion with Jesus? I believe it should. Then he sent his disciples out into the sea in the boat. They were in the middle of a storm. In the Sea of Galilee. Tired out. Exhausted from rowing. It's between three and six in the morning. They're terrified. Not a comfortable position to be in, is it? It's not a good place to be. But will you note that they were following the voice of Jesus? Jesus sent them into the storm. He didn't. Yes, he did. Well, does Jesus send us into storms of life then? It seems that he does sometimes or at least he allows us to go into the storms of life. And where was he when all this was going on? Oh, he was having a quiet time with his father. (laughs) I'm having a quiet time with my father. You're in trouble, but I'm having a quiet time with my father. Now, why do you think he allows us to go into those storms of life? And that's not a rhetorical question. But I think it could be because he wants us to come to a place where we can only rely upon him. There are some of us in this congregation who know that in the storms of life, everything of self reliance is stripped away. Isn't that right, Michael? Where is he? Yeah, Michael Carby, where are you as well? Isn't that right, Michael? Everything of self-reliance is stripped away. We can only rely upon the Lord. And that gives us a different outlook on life. What we see then as important changes dramatically. But you see, knowing that Jesus is with us and is leading us through the storms should give us a security because we know that he will never leave us, that he will never ever forsake us. And he will do what is necessary for us to get us through the storm. See, like with the disciples, if Jesus has told you to go to the other side, you're going to get there. Because his word is truth. The storm came when the disciples were right in the middle of the lake. Too late to go back. And probably, in their eyes, going forward was virtually impossible. And that's when they began to worry That's when they began to question. That's when they became fearful. Isn't that the same with us? We think that we've heard the voice of Jesus, and so we go for it. And when we get to a certain stage, we meet resistance. And then we say, oh dear, did Jesus actually say this? Did he not say this? And so we begin to question, we begin to fear. But look, I was reading recently about the Welsh revivals in the earlier centuries, not the 1904 one, earlier ones. And they always met resistance. Sadly, often that resistance was from the church. But did that mean that they weren't of God? No, it didn't. They were of God. See, So when you encounter resistance, it might be because the Lord is doing something in you and maybe he's about to expand your territory. See, you only need to look at the Old Testament to see that principle at work. If you're going to expand the territory, you're going to get resistance. If you're occupying more territory for the kingdom of God, you're going to get more resistance. But you need to have courage. That's what God said to Joshua when he was going out into the kingdoms, is not he? And he said the same thing today in this story. He spoke immediately into the distressful situation of the disciples and he said, hey, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now, there's an important point here. Hearing is vitally important because they looked and they thought they saw a ghost. Ah, so they didn't recognize that Jesus was with them. Not until they heard his voice. How many of us, when we are in storms, may not recognize that Jesus is with us? that's the time when we need to hear his voice. His words to his disciples open their eyes and set their hearts at rest. He says, it is I. His words can do the same for us. But sometimes it's necessary for us then to go to the written word. Not just to say, hey, Lord, speak to me. Go to the written word. That's where the word of God is. See, even in the midst of the storms, God is at work. Now, you may be in the midst of a storm this morning. I don't know. But if you are, here's the question. What is Jesus saying to you in that? What miracle might be waiting to happen as a result of that? Where are you in all of that? But before the miracle could happen in this story, Peter had to do something. Peter had to let go. He needed to come to a place of total and absolute surrender to be all in for Jesus. See, he must have stepped out of the boat, but I think he hung on. But he didn't see the miracle until he let go. And from that moment on, he was completely reliant upon Jesus. There was no other option. I Oh, where's the boat? No. Reliant on Jesus. And there's another point here if you think about it. He actually stepped out into the storm. The storm hadn't abated then. See, he was vulnerable. It was dangerous. But he chose to do it because he knew that Jesus was there. Total trust and total surrender. He stepped into uncertainty and risked his very life. Why? to be closer to Jesus. He left behind any security, any safety. He gave up his right to be in control, to be closer to the one that had given his all for you and me. Scary stuff. But isn't there something wonderful about his actions? Wow. What boats are you hanging on to for your security? What is it or who is it that you need to let go of and trust in the Lord today? See, only you and the Lord can answer that. Someone has said, great faith produces great abandonment. Well, how did Peter, how was Peter enabled to do that? What made him let go? Well, I think, because he knew the love of Jesus. He knew that he could trust him. He did this to enable him to do the impossible. His trust, his love enabled Peter to do the impossible. You trust and you love Jesus and you may see the impossible. Now we say we all love Jesus, don't we? Of course we do. I don't mean up there though, in the mind. What I mean is down here in the heart. Do you really know, for instance, that Jesus accepts you as you are? even if you don't like yourself? Do you really know that Jesus accepts you and forgives you, even if you don't want to forgive yourself? Do you realize that it doesn't really matter what you've done? That's gone. You're forgiven. It's now. So why not let that love motivate us to be all in for him, as he is all in for us? Now, how do you be all in for Jesus? Very simply, focus Focus. I think that Peter was focusing on Jesus and what Jesus had done for him. It's a wonderful word, focus, you know. Um, it's the word that's used to name the point at which sunlight converges in a magnifying glass to start a fire. That's what focus is. So focusing on Jesus can set us on fire, folks. Hey? Wouldn't that be wonderful? People come and watch us burn. But what you focus on determines who you are. It determines who you will become. According to one academic, it can shape your brain, your heart, your body, your attitudes, and your actions. So why not focus so that we can be shaped like Jesus? I saw a billboard outside the Baptist church in Calverton which said, Jesus shaped people worship here. I thought that'd be interesting. But apparently it's a course, which is a teaching course called Jesus-Shaped People. Good. But focus is important. It's important to Jesus and it's important to us. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha that I spoke about a little while ago? See, Mary was focused. She was focused on Jesus and his teachings. She didn't have to do anything else. In fact, Jesus didn't want her to do anything else. Because he said, she has chosen the one thing. Being in his presence was enough for him and for Mary. When you're in the presence of Jesus, you see, you let other things go. And he deserves our full attention just as it was with Mary. So focus is important. We need to do that. So how can you do that? How can you focus? Do you you find it difficult to focus? Come on, be honest. I find it extremely difficult to focus. Because as soon as I say I'm going to focus on this, something else comes. Bing, bing, bing. I suggest you do this. Come before him silently. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Regain your focus on him by being still and silent before him, letting others' distractions go. That's difficult. And the reason it's difficult is because the enemy will try to distract you. See, when you focus on the Lord, you can end up doing the impossible like Peter. Well, the enemy doesn't want you to do that. Not at all. Peter was focused on Jesus. And when he kept his eyes on Jesus, he moved forward and he continued to do the impossible. That's what we need to do. We need to focus on Jesus, keep our eyes on him, and move forward towards him all the time. Never backwards, never standing still. Jesus is saying, come. That means go forward, and the safest place to be is where he's leading you. Trust me. So we need to move forward We need to be closer to Jesus every chance we get. And we've heard this three times this morning because Helen said it and somebody else said it as well. So I think God is saying something to us. He will be our safeguard. He will protect us from sinking. And this is how we will fulfill our destiny in God. There is no other way. Now, think about this for a moment. When Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water... He had the same authority and dominion over the laws of nature as Jesus did. Ooh. He accepted Jesus' invitation and he lived in the empowerment. If we accept Jesus' invitation, we can live in that empowerment. And we need to notice that it wasn't Jesus' idea for Peter to walk on the water, it was Peter's. He said, If it's you, bid me come. Right, so Peter followed his heart and he took the risk of being totally and absolutely vulnerable. He wanted to get closer to Jesus even if it meant attempting the impossible. How many of us are like that? Perhaps I could use a pun here. Possibly we are not. (laughs) I don't know. However, we won't become like that unless we spend time in God's presence. So the focus and the attention that I mentioned earlier are fundamental. If you spend time in God's presence, it will transform you. Honestly, it will. And the desires of his heart will become the desires of your heart. And then Psalm 37 verse 4 will come to life. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Will you please note here the desires of your heart? Not the desires of somebody else's heart, but your heart. That's because God has given us all work to do. Different works for all of us. And that's clear from Ephesians 2, verse 10. And then in John 15, verse 7, Jesus said this If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Abiding then is what's necessary, not striving. See, come into the presence of God, get the word in you, abide, stay in me, let the word stay in you. That's how you will go forward. Peter took the initiative. He took the first step. He didn't wait until the storm subsided to get closer to Jesus. He didn't wait until Jesus got closer to the boat. He said, is that you? Yes, come. He's out. Bang. I think some of us wait for everything to make sense, for everything to fall into place, before we take the risk of the first step out of the boat, to follow the calling of Jesus. Now, why do we do that? Because we think we understand. But Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 says, don't rely on your own understanding. It's the Lord's understanding you want. So if Jesus says to us, come closer, then we should go for it even if there seems to be no good, logical reason for doing so. But he has called us, so we go for it. And he'll keep you on the waters. You know his promises. So let go of whatever it is that stops you from going forward. He is with you all the time. Question here, how many of us have an impossible dream in our heart? Impossible to us, perhaps. If you have, let me encourage you this morning or this week to take the first step towards it. But spend time with Jesus. Because if you don't spend time with Jesus, you might fail. See, if you step out in faith, you're probably going to fail at some stage. But if you are going to fail and you fall, fall forward. Don't fall backwards. And if you fall, get up and get on. And if you fall again, get up and get on. But keep falling forwards. Never fall backwards. Isn't it better to have tried and failed and tried and failed than it is to sit and vegetate? Um, Samuel P. Jones who was an American preacher in the 19th century said this we generate power while in motion faster than when standing still you stand still there's no power you start moving okay you can get more power that's what he's saying here Peter fell forward not backwards see we've got to do the same because if we're falling forward we're falling towards Jesus because Jesus has said come Peter was in the realms of impossible where only Jesus could save him, when he fell towards Jesus. We need to do the same. We need to lean in towards Jesus just as Peter did. And he will be there for you immediately because as soon as Peter started falling and leaning forward to Jesus, his hand was out, boom, gotcha. Thank you very much. Yeah, but didn't Jesus rebuke him? (laughs) Yeah, he did. Why? Well, was it because he had little faith? Was it because he took his eyes off Jesus? Was it? I don't know. I don't know. But what I'm saying is this. Peter started strong. He got out and he walked on the water. We can do the same. But we have that warning. Don't let what happened in the past, the disappointments, affect you. You might have started something and it fell. Okay. So what? Start again. We often look for disappointments to stop us from doing the next thing for Jesus. Jesus. So now is the time to restore our passion. Move forward in Jesus. You say, Peter was different. Now, look, Peter always wanted to get closer to Jesus. Have a look at that story about the fish in John 21, where Jesus said, you know, cast your nets out and so forth, and so many fish came. You look at that story, and it says this. As soon as Peter heard John say, it is the Lord... He wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped in the water. Straight away. Oh, that's Jesus, is it? Woof, I'm gone. I need to be close to him. It says then the others followed in the boats, towing the nets behind them. Peter dropped everything to be with Jesus. He was compelled to be closer to Jesus all the time. And we need to be the same, is what I'm trying to say. We need to be like Peter. We need to be hungry for the presence of Jesus, not just the occasional counter, beautiful though they are. We need to have a lifetime and a lifestyle of being hungry to be in his presence. Hunger is powerful. There's no growth without hunger. Do you remember Smith Wigglesworth? You've heard of Smith Wigglesworth, that great man of God. The miracles that he did. He said this, I would rather have a man on my platform not filled with the Holy Ghost, but hungry for God, than a man who has received the Holy Ghost, but has become satisfied with his experience. We need to be hungry for God. Peter was the same. Smith Wigglesworth was the same. He and Peter, they were intimate with Jesus. And you cannot divorce intimacy from the miraculous. You cannot divorce intimacy from the anointing. Smith Wigglesworth got the anointing. An uneducated man, but full of the Spirit of God and anointing. You read in Acts 4 that the elders and the teachers of the law were surprised because the disciples had the anointing, these unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished that these people had that. Why? Because they'd been with Jesus. See, when you go into the presence of Jesus and stay with him in his presence, you will have an anointing. You will see the miraculous. But you need to have the courage to step out into it. And courage here means freedom, openness, boldness, and confidence. The disciples said, don't take us out of this. Give us the boldness to go forward in what we're doing. Ordinary men spending time with Jesus, lived with their hearts, made an incredible difference in their time and indeed in our time. So the question is this. Are we prepared this morning to step out of the boat? It's a simple question. But if you are prepared this morning, remember that our lives have been bought at a price. We're not our own. He's calling us to take these decisions. And these decisions are going to change our lives and those around us. Will you spend time this morning thinking about being in the presence of Jesus? Will you spend time seeking to become more intimate with him? Will you not let anyone or anything get in the way of the calling of Jesus on your life? Will you step out when you hear the voice of Jesus even if everything is not in place? at this point in time. Will you step out of the boat? I believe that if you will, then like Joshua said to the Israelites, the Lord is saying to us, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua 3 verse 5. Got that impossible dream? Think about it. Here's a way forward. The question I started with was this. What can I do to change this ungodly society? I hope that I've given you some indication of what you can think about doing. We're just ordinary Christians who when we spend time with Jesus and have the courage to do what he asks will see extraordinary things happen. But that's not going to happen unless you're prepared to step out of the boat. So folks, 2020, a new decade, you said, new era. Is it time to step out of the boat? I believe it is time to step out of the boat. So that's the title. It's time to get out of the boat. Let's be silent for a second or two because it's just gone 12 o'clock. So let's be silent for a second or two and uh, see what Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning. Heavenly Father, we are simply ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. We are ordinary people who have an extraordinary Savior and Lord. We are ordinary people who are filled with an extraordinary Holy Spirit. But Lord, we are ordinary people We want to spend time with you in your presence. We want to hear your voice. We want to understand your thoughts. We want to know what it is that you have for each one of us as individuals in the coming year, Lord. And this morning, Father, I want to say to you that I am making a fresh commitment to spend time in the presence of Jesus, to listen to his voice, to try and discern what it is that is necessary for me to be and to do. God, I I want to step out of the boat. I want to see the miraculous. want to see the anointing of Jesus not just in my life Lord but in the lives of those whom I love and those who I come into contact with and Lord I pray that every person here today will have that prayer in their heart that we can get closer to you Lord Bless you and praise you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you. We thank you for your son. Blessed be your name. I'm, I'm standing here this morning making that commitment. To do the best i possibly can to spend more time in the presence of jesus and then to have the courage to step out and do what he wants me to do and i think the beginning of the year is a good time for that sort of thing to happen not a new year's resolution (laughs) but a commitment again now if you are like that you identify with that then please feel free to stand and make that commitment yourself because it's out of that that we will see the anointing and the miraculous and I believe the only way to see society change is for the Christian to be the Christian courageously see the power of God and the love of God at work in our lives and in the lives of those that we come into contact with. Blessed be your name, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Touch our hearts, Lord. Touch our spirits, Lord. Lord, let us leave this place, different people. Lord, I think some of us need need to be broken before we can come to that place. So whatever it is that needs to be broken in us, Lord, will you break it now? Break it right now, Lord. Anything which prevents us from getting closer to you, Anything which distracts us from focusing on Jesus. Lord, I bless these people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.